Welcome to the Spiritual Warfare Network podcast, the training ground for warriors in Christ who are ready to walk in their God-given power and authority. Apostle DeCoy Green is about to equip you with kingdom strategies and teach you how to strategically pray and effectively engage the enemy in spiritual warfare. Now, let's get into today's teaching. I'm going to open up in prayer, and we're going to dive right on into the Word of God. Father God, we come now once again, O God, on this day that you have made, O God. Give you all glory, all honor, and all praise, O God. Thank you, O God, for yet another opportunity, O God, to open up the bread of life, O God. We thank you, O God, for the Word, O God, on this night, that the Word shall go forth with power, which shall go forth with authority. We thank you, O God, for each ear who's listening under the sound of my voice, O God. We know, O God, that your Word shall accomplish what you set it out to do. So we thank you in advance, O God. For all that's going to be said and done on this night, oh God, we come against any distractions, any hindrance. We come up against it now and command it to be removed in the name of Jesus. So we thank you now in advance, oh God. We give your name all glory, all honor, and all praise. These no blessed we ask in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You know that we have been on this, this journey. We started this new series. This is the third week now in this series topic of spiritual warfare training and last week was part two of this series as we mentioned last week that you have to continue to study this because it, it, it's too much to take it all in at one time so you have to make sure that you're studying studying going back over the notes reviewing it so that it's, it, it can become a part of who you are because again we're going to continue to go forward continue to take off so if you stick with me throughout this series your entire outlook is going to change when it comes to spiritual warfare and how to handle it when you encounter spiritual warfare so last week's title Part two of our spiritual warfare training, it was entitled Preparing to Fight. So last week was Preparing to Fight. And a little bit we covered, we talked about how, of course, before you engage in warfare, you have to know, go in knowing that you've already won. And we know that being because God's enlisted you in his kingdom army, your role is important in the mission. And that God does not enlist losers into his kingdom army. He only enlists winners. And you are a winner, of course, because you are in Christ. And as a member of God's army, you have to have discipline because trying to do it your way instead of God's will way will, of course, lead to disaster, that God's given you many weapons, and one advantage you have in spiritual warfare is that the enemy doesn't know which one you use at any given time. That's the advantage of being on God's team in, in, in his army, and that spiritual warfare is, isn't something for you to be fearful about because there's no fear in Christ. Because you're fighting, when you're fighting in spiritual warfare, you're coming in the name of Christ, and you're coming in his power, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, and that scares the enemy. And, of course, if you walk in fear and doubt, you are opposing God because fear and doubt are enemies of God. That's why we have to activate our faith. We talked about three key principles when preparing for spiritual warfare. Uh, number one, that you must be dressed for spiritual warfare. Number two was you must have the right mindset for spiritual warfare. And number three was you must study the blueprint. So it was you must be dressed for spiritual warfare. You have to have the right mindset for spiritual warfare. And you must study the blueprint. Okay, so that's just a quick recap. Uh, for last week. So we're going to continue to move forward. Today is part three, part three of our spiritual warfare training, and it is entitled Understanding Your Responsibility, Understanding Your Responsibility. So with that being said, we talk about understanding your responsibility. We have to understand that too often when it comes to spiritual warfare or when it, when it seems like something is too big or that someone else is so much greater, so much more anointed, etc., uh, that some people tend to think less of themselves. And sometimes you may fall into the trap of looking at yourself, how Satan wants you to see you. But when you're in Christ, nothing and no one is bigger or better than you. So you have to understand that when you are in Christ 
and you know that you're in Christ, there is nothing or no one who is bigger or better than you when you are wrapped up in Christ. So it only becomes a challenge when you start thinking about your physical limitations, your strengths, and your weaknesses. And this is why our mindset must be renewed in Christ. So we all have weaknesses in the flesh, but there is no such thing as weakness in Christ. And that's where you're seated. You're seated in Christ, in heavenly places. We're seated in Christ Jesus. So therefore, there's no weakness there. So therefore, what he's saying is that you have to take your seat. You have to take your seat. And there's a lot of things that we say. We talk it and we say it. We talk a big game sometimes, but then we're not backing up with the demonstration of the power and the authority. So it's like we're saying it, but we're not believing it. So you have to keep saying it and saying it and doing it until it becomes a part of who you are. And understand that the enemy can sense fear because they're through the bait hoping you would bite it. And understand this. Fear is a poor excuse not to have faith because faith is not in a person. But it's in God through Christ. It's impossible to lose with Christ. We know this. So therefore, if it's impossible to lose with Christ, what are you holding on to? If it's impossible to lose with Christ, you have to ask yourself, what am I holding on to? What you're holding on to is your flesh, and it must be thrown aside. And one big mistake as a Christian is to believe that the real you is in your flesh. The real you is in the spirit, and it is hidden in Christ. So therefore, you must wake up to the real you, which again, we know we say it time after time again, the scripture says that our life is hidden in Christ. Your real life is hidden in Christ. So God never created flesh. Watch this now. God never created flesh to be able to make sense of the spirit. He simply created flesh as a vehicle to transport your power around. I'm going to say that again. God never created flesh to be able to make sense of the spirit. So stop trying to make sense of spiritual things with your flesh, with your mind. He simply created your flesh as a vehicle to transport your power around. And we know once you accept Christ, you get the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Holy Spirit is what does the work to, through you. That's who the Holy Spirit cast out the demons. The Holy Spirit heals the sick. The Holy Spirit raises others from the dead because of the power in you. With that being said, this is important when dealing with spiritual warfare, because if you get into a spiritual fight with your flesh, you will get wounded and badly wounded. So you understand this, understand this. You far outrank any demon. And when you understand that, you truly won't be afraid to fight in the spirit for what belongs to you. You far outrank any demon. And when you understand that, you will truly not be afraid to fight in the spirit for what belongs to you. But the thing is, you still have to get in the fight. As we said in part one, that you're in a fight whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. There's still warfare going on. There's a fight over your life. There's a fight over your family's life, and you're in it, and there's a responsibility. Now we talk about understanding your responsibility. As a Christ follower, God wants you to go from a place of talking about his power to actually walking in and demonstrating his power on earth. As a Christ follower, God wants you, yes, you, to go from a place of talking about his power and to actually walking in and demonstrating his power on earth. Because the church has gotten good at talking about the power. But God wants us to demonstrate the power. And you already have the ability to do it. So because when you accept Christ, you are in Christ, and you can use his authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. It only becomes a challenge to accept this reality, because for far too long, too much of the church has raised codependent Christians to feel the need that they must always depend on someone who supposedly has more power 
more authority than them, which is not the case. That's the kind of the, the crutch that the church has created to where, you know, you feel like, oh, the pastor or apostle got more authority, more power than me. So, okay, then I need to make sure I go to him to get all this, et cetera, et cetera. I have no more power. I have no more authority than you do. We all want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You get the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the power. That is the power. So, no, someone else is not more anointed than you. That's a lie. That's a lie from Satan. There's no such thing as someone's more anointed than you. You are anointed because God called you, and we all have been called to something. We all have been empowered to do something. So then now, that puts responsibility on you. So you don't have to come to the, pre- the preacher or whoever you feel anointed to, to lay hands and, and heal the sick and, and do all this stuff, because guess what? There's people that you come in contact with every day who's going through hell, who's sick in their body, and guess what? God is saying, I'm looking at you. Once you get this revelation, once you get this word, now you can't say, I don't know. You can't say, I don't know. And I know I got a lot of your, your messages, your emails. You've been hitting me up saying, okay, I get it. I've been saying we've been talking about power and authority, but it's hard for me to realize that, believe that I have that much power. Because, like I said, the, the crush has been created is the, 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 the belief system that we have to depend on certain people to do it. We have to depend on the pastor, the preacher to, to do the work. When God expects you to do the work, because there's people that God assigned to you that he didn't assign to pastor. So that's that paradigm shift that has to take place. I know a lot of you have been struggling with it. I got your message, conversation, et cetera. But this is reality. This is God's word. You have power and authority. The authority is to use the name of Jesus Christ. And Satan and his demons are afraid of the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, which does the work. So if, the, if you have the authority of Jesus Christ that you can use... Because I say when you have that authority, as I said last week, that's like arresting demons. You have the authority to literally arrest a demon and command them to leave, to arrest them. As, as, just as so you think of a police officer, they have authority, a jurisdiction in certain places to arrest folks who commit crime. So you have the authority to arrest demons that are plaguing you, that are plaguing those around you in your society, in your community, on your job, in your home. You have the authority to arrest them and command them to leave. And it's the power that kicks them out, the power of the Holy Spirit. You already have it. I have no more power and no more authority than you. You can't get more authority when Jesus Christ is the authority. So it is impossible if we all have Jesus Christ for me to have more authority than you because there's only one authority, which is the name of Jesus Christ, and then the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with that being said, as followers of Christ, we all have access to the same Father, the same Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all have the same access to the power and authority. The only difference is that we all have different gifts, different functions, and different responsibilities. But it's only through Christ that we have this access. And the church has talked about the power. We've studied the power. We've flirted with the power. But this is a generation that will demonstrate the power. I'm going to say that again. The church has talked about the power, studied the power, flirted with the power, but this is the generation that will demonstrate the power. Yes, God is talking to you. You will demonstrate the power. You will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. You will cast out demons. You have the power to raise the dead. And with the thing is, oh, well, that, that still happens. Yes, it still happens. Answer this question. Did Jesus lose some authority? Did the Holy Spirit lose some power? I don't think so. Jesus didn't lose any authority, and the Holy Spirit didn't lose any power. So the same miracles we saw in the Bible is the same miracles that we should see today. But the problem is, like I said, 
we become codependent. Everyone looking at everyone else to do it. Everyone looking at the preacher to do it. And the truth be told, there's many preachers who are afraid to do it. They're preaching it. They're talking about it, but they're not walking in it. Why? Because it requires work. And then truthfully, some things you're saying you don't really believe. It's like, oh, y'all go do it. Y'all go do it. So, so, so this is the paradigm shift that God is saying, now it's time to wake up my body, wake up my church. We've been talking about the, the revival. It's here. And you are a catalyst in that revival. So you have to accept this responsibility. First of all, you got to get the basics. If you don't get the basics, you can't move forward. The basics is this. When I accepted Jesus Christ, my Lord and personal Savior, when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and personal Savior, you got the authority of Jesus Christ. And you got the power of the Holy Spirit. Period. No excuses, no ifs, ands about it, no question. You got it. So now that breaks the tradition in your mind of someone's more anointed than you. Oh, they, they anoint you. I, I, they, they way more, more anointed than me. I, I can't do that. Again, don't confuse a gift with an anointing. Okay? The anointing is simply whatever God has called you to do. That's the responsibility, and there's a responsibility that comes with that anointing. So with that being said, so now I said there, there is now no excuse to go out and do what God's called you to do. And understand, this is kingdom dominion time, and that dominion is for the children of God to rule on earth as the kings and queens that we are. It's kingdom dominion time. And so the church must walk in power and go from saying cute words or, or talking a good game because in spiritual warfare, you either bring it or you stay at home. And the cute programs are nice. The fellowship is nice. But when it's all said and done, there needs to be demonstration of power. We talking about this Jesus Christ that has all power. We talk about the Holy Spirit that's resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead. We talk about it. So shouldn't we be a church that, talk, that, that demonstrates it? The world is looking at us, right? So then the pressure ain't on you. You just got to show up. But the problem is we haven't been showing up because we've been waiting for someone else to do it. Because we thought someone else was more qualified. We thought someone else was more powerful. Someone else was more anointed. Someone else had more authority. So now that theology is thrown out the window. What you've been taught your whole life just messed up your theology right there. It's already in you. You already have the power and authority. And again, we've been talking about it, but the thing is it hadn't sunk deep down inside to realize, again, we've been saying time and time again, you are the living manifestation of Jesus Christ in the earth. You are the living manifestation of Jesus Christ in the earth. You're not Jesus, but he said, look, I've given you my authority. Use it. Holy Spirit said, look, I'm the power. Use it. Let me work through you, but I can't work through you if you don't show up. I can't work through you if you don't show up. I can't work through you if you don't do it. And I just had a conversation today. Even the Holy Spirit has convicted me because it's easy as a preacher, pastor, etc. It's easy for the people to come to you. It's easy to have a service. That's easy. That makes it a spoiled Christian. You wait for the service for, for you to demonstrate the power. You wait for somebody to call you for you to demonstrate the power. Oh, I'm sick. Can you, can you pray for me? And then, then you're praying, and then you're saying, okay, well, Lord, let your will be done. And we'll get into that later. But and as I mentioned last week, look, if someone's sick, there's, there's only two sides, God's side and Satan's side. There's no in-between. Someone's sick, depressed, being tormented by a devil, it is not God's will that they're in that condition. It is not God's will for anyone to be sick. It is not God's will for anyone to be in bondage of the enemy. That's not his will. So you can stop praying that, Lord, if it's your will, heal them, because that's, that's, that's not true. It is his will. So you don't have to pray that if it's your will. It is his will. And so then God said, I give you my power, my authority to do it. So with that being said, so now you piggyback on that to say, 
Now I have this power. I have this story. What am I going to do with it? So there needs to be healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, setting the captives free, shifting the atmosphere. Yes, you have the power and authority in you to do all of that. The Holy Spirit did not give you gifts just so you can say you have something. He gave it to you so he can demonstrate his power through you. And so shifting the atmosphere isn't just changing the mood in a place. It's literally evicting demons by bringing the power and authority of Christ. We say, we got these cliches, oh, you shift the atmosphere. You, what does that really mean? It's not a feeling. It's not just changing the mood in a place. It's literally evicting demons by bringing the power and authority of Christ, and you don't just do it in a church service. The majority of your life is not in church. Mostly you spend eight hours a day on a job, five days a week at least, or more. And you can tell me you can wait till you go into a church building to demonstrate some power and authority. It's your job. You have jurisdiction on your job, in your community, in your gas station, your grocery store. That if you see darkness, something that contradicts the will of God, because God planted you there, you have the power and authority to command it to leave. And the responsibility is on you because you now know better. There's some people who are in bondage who don't know why they're in bondage. They just feel, oh, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through this. And they, they, they're looking at God, Lord, I don't understand, Lord, how am I going to get out of this? And here are they under, under uh, demon uh, oppression. And you see it, but now you know, so you know what to do. You command it to leave in Jesus' name. But you know, I don't want to ruffle no feathers. I don't want to mess. I don't know them. I'm, I'm going to mind my business. I'm just going to mind my business. When did Jesus ever mind his business? He said, on earth, he said I'm about my father's business. And if his father's children are on earth, then that is his father's business. So God's children, you're God's child, but there's other God's children who are in bondage, who are going through. And guess what? You have the responsibility to do something about it through your prayer life, through warfare, because you had the power and authority. And now you have this knowledge, you have this information, you have this revelation, so you have to use it. So there's some people who ain't getting this. There's some people who ain't getting this word. But now it's come to you. So that says something about you. It's coming to you now. So you know how to do something with it. And so since you're seated in Christ, and I'm just finishing up my introduction here, and we'll get into the first scripture. So since you're seated in Christ and have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, when you show up, Christ shows up and shifts the atmosphere. And the reason it may not happen all the time, because perhaps it's the day we didn't wake up to our power and authority. It's a daily process, daily picking up your cross. So we know that scripture tells us that to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. Well, watch this now. There's no greater responsibility you will ever have than demonstrating the authority of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. I'm going to say that again. You've got to catch this. You've got to get it down in your spirit. I am not talking to your flesh. I am talking to your spirit. There is no greater responsibility. There is no greater responsibility that you will ever have than demonstrating the authority of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. So some of you are saying, what's my purpose? I don't know my purpose, and I don't know what God called me to do. But I tell you one thing, that God called us all. Yes, God called you to lay your hands on the sick, and they will recover. God called you to cast out demons. He called you to bring light to darkness. That's why he said that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are to bring light to dark places. That's bringing God's kingdom where there is darkness. Okay, so you got to understand that. 
It's not waiting for someone else, looking for someone else to do it. And much has been given to you because all things are in God through Christ, and you have the right to use his authority. Resurrection power lives in you as the Holy Spirit is the power. It has been given to you, and much is required. The much is in the doing. You're not waiting on God, but God's waiting on you to let him use you to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's your job. That's your job. That's part of your job function. That's also what you're doing in spiritual warfare. In spiritual warfare, you're evicting what Satan's kingdom has set up, and you're establishing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So you're uprooting Satan, what Satan set up, and you're establishing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so God is opening our eyes to who we really are. And you cannot effectively engage in spiritual warfare without first knowing your spiritual rights. And this is part of the revival. He has to get his children equipped, trained for this, because you're going to be part of ushering it in. You're going to be part of ushering it in. It's no longer this independent mindset of, I'm the one with all the knowledge. I'm the one with all the power. I'm the one with all the authority. So y'all have to keep looking up to me and coming to me. No, 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 no. You are equipped. You are being empowered. You are being sent out to go and do it. Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. He trained them to go when he was sick, raise the dead, etc., cast out demons. Then he sent them out two by two, to send me out two by two, to go into all the world, go to the Great Commission, go out there, preach my gospel, bring the kingdom of God on earth. That's part of your commission. And like I said earlier, that I, I was convicted because, like I said, I was waiting, want, want everything to come to me and, you know, have the nice service. And it's easy. You get the nice invitation and, and you do this. And, and, and that's the easy part. But what happens when I'm in the grocery store? What happens when I'm at the gas station? I see someone that's clearly struggling. I see someone on some crutches. I see someone who's deformed. It's my responsibility to go over there. Tell me, is it right? I pray for you. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I expect them to be healed. Because it's not my power. And I know that healing is in God's will. And I know that's against God's will, hands down, because Jesus died not just for our sins, but he died for he said, by his stripes we were healed. He died for, for us to be healed as well. He died for us to be delivered. Again, the enemy is trying to keep us in bondage. He wants to keep us blinded. That point when you're looking just to the preacher and, and, and they're getting all, everyone looking at them for all answers and all that stuff, that's done with. As many folks that God's raised up in his hour. That's going to bring forth the word, teach the word, and say, now you go out and do it. This is how you go and do it. and going to demonstrate it. Okay, I've demonstrated the power. Now you come and do it. Because when you go to work and you go here and there, he expects you to do it too. And so, so you got to get this out of your mind that, oh, I'm just a little Christian just trying to make it by, and I'm just trying to survive. You're sleeping on yourself because there is power and authority in you. And I know it's a paradox. I know it's hard to grasp because, again, you got to be detoxed from, from church tradition. And God is now bringing kingdom to you. Now the responsibility is on you. God's opening your eyes. So there's things that you've sat back and watched others do because you thought they were more anointed. But God is saying you are just as anointed. You're anointed to do what God called you to do because he gave you the responsibility that comes with it, and he expects you to do it. So there's no excuses. We all have specific assignments. However, there are some things we all are to do. We all have the responsibility to tell others about Christ. We all have the responsibility to bring light into darkness. We all have the responsibility to cast out demons, heal the sick, etc. We all do. If you call yourself a child of God, if you have accepted Jesus Christ and you are a child of God, I'm going to say it again. You are expected. You have the responsibility to tell others about Christ. You have the responsibility to bring light to darkness. You have the responsibility to cast out demons and heal the sick. So all the responsibility... 
and you sitting there still trying to wonder what your purpose is, what your will, what God will for my life, that right there will keep you busy for a long time until you get full revelation on what else he wants you to do. And so the power and the authority is already in you to do it, but the problem is that you thought the job was for someone else. You thought the job was for someone else, but you have a responsibility to evict any works of Satan out of your life as well as anywhere or any person God sends you to. So you have the power and authority. You're not weak. You are a dangerous weapon in spiritual warfare because all power and authority from God lives in you. You will be the best you when you wake up to and accept the power and authority living in you through Christ. Okay? So I'm going to get into our three points. There are three key responsibilities you will have in spiritual warfare. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew 10 and 1. We covered that scripture so many times. Matthew 10 and 1. Matthew 10 and 1. That will give you the three key responsibilities you have in spiritual warfare. Number one, you're responsible for uprooting anything Satan's kingdom has established and establishing God's kingdom in its place. Again, number one, you're responsible for uprooting anything Satan's kingdom has established and establishing God's kingdom in its place. Number two, you're responsible for the lives of others. And number three, you must have faith. All right, so Matthew 10 and 1, just one verse. Matthew 10 and 1 says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So again, this takes us back to the basics. You must first realize that the first thing Jesus gave to his disciples was what? Power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and diseases. He didn't say some, but all diseases. This is another reminder that the first thing Christ gave us is power. That power is the Holy Spirit. He gave you power over demonic spirits. He gave you power to heal all sickness and all diseases because of the power at work in you. He didn't say some but all. And there's no problem that's bigger than another because everything Satan tries looks small to Christ. So you're in Christ, so it should look small to you. So I don't care if it's cancer or if it's a headache. It don't require more faith, you know, more faith. And that's one what I don't once believe that. I thought it all required I got to have more faith to heal cancer. Then to heal the headache. No, because it's the same power and authority that's in you. It's not big to God. It looks small to Christ, and because you're in Christ, it should look small to you. When Jesus went about, what did he do? He said he looked on the people, and he had compassion for them. That's when he began to, to heal the sick. Everyone that they brought to him was healed. Everyone they brought to him was healed. Everyone they brought to him was healed. And guess what? You have the same power and authority. He said, greater works you shall do. Everyone brought to you, everyone you come in contact with can be healed. But the difference is getting, the, like I said, the revelation on it. We, now that you understand how it really operates, you, now you come with a different type of boldness. You come with a different type of understanding. You're not begging God to heal someone because he's already done it. It's already in his will. So you're now dealing with this demonic spirit that's trying to keep them in bondage. Sometimes we think, and I had a conversation last week about, you know, mentally ill. Look, if someone is born with a mental illness or whatever it can be, Down syndrome, anything, that's still not God's will. Just because they were born that way does not make it God's will. It's not God's will because sickness is not in God's will. That was part of what Jesus died for. So therefore, but if the problem is we, we've gotten comfortable with assuming, well, I guess it's God's will. They're born that way. So, so we never even begin to, to pray or to try to come up against that. So even the doctors, even churches have been trying to prepare their family. Well, you know, just, Lord, give them the strength to be able to deal with this. Give them the strength to be able to, to raise the child that's mentally handicapped. When you have that power and authority to heal them of that, because it is not in God's will, period. 
And that's, if you can understand that principle, that sickness and disease is not in God's will, it will change your perspective. It will completely change your perspective. So just something to think about there. All right? So notice that Jesus called his disciples to him, and, and upon them responding to him, he gave them the power. This was before his death, his burial, and resurrection. So now we get the authority first to use Jesus' name once we accept him, and then we get the power, which is the Holy Spirit. So whenever you see sickness and disease or sin or anything that opposes God, it's a seed sown by Satan, and you have the power to do something about it. Not only do you have the power and authority to do something about it, but you have a responsibility to do something about it. You actually have a responsibility to do something about it. And I heard it put best, and it completely changed my entire dynamic of understanding. There's some, this guy walked heavy in the healing ministry, and it's not, I don't say so much a healing ministry because we all have a healing ministry. We've been believed to believe that, okay, only Benny Hinn and certain people, the, the old ones, you know, back in the day, Smith Wigglesworth and Catherine Kuhlman, who were great, you know, uh, faith healing teachers and, and, and ministry, great healing, they go, well, they got a healing ministry, so that, that's for them. We all have a healing ministry because we're all supposed to lay hands on the sick and they recover. We're all supposed to pray for the sick and they recover. So we all have that ministry. That's the first thing God gave his disciples, a healing ministry, deliverance ministry. You have a healing ministry. You have a deliverance ministry. It's just coming now. Like I said, now you have more understanding of the power and authority that's in you to know that God expects you to do it. So when you see someone in the mall, the grocery store, et cetera, don't be afraid to go and say, hey, you know, it's all right if I pray for you. Know, I believe, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, can heal and it's, it's all right. And it don't take no long, drawn-out prayer. You know, you're just saying, you know, I come right now. I speak to your spirit in front of me. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. And I speak healing. I release healing into you. I release life into you in Jesus' name. I command whatever spirit you are, spirit in front of me, whatever it is, whatever the issue is, I command you to go now in Jesus' name. And you say it with boldness. And then it's simple. It don't take no long, drawn-out prayer to get these results. But the difference is, like I said, now you have the revelation, understanding of what's expected of you. Because, again, it's your territory, your assignment. So, again, so you have assigned territory in any darkness that tries to hang around. God gives you the responsibility to shine your light on it. With the help of the Holy Spirit and warring angels, you're also an enforcer in the areas God assigns to you. You're expected to replace darkness with light. You're expected to literally shift the atmosphere. And we already said shifting the atmosphere is causing pretty much darkness to leave. You're expected to bring order where there is disorder. The responsibility God gave you may seem like a tall task for you, but the results are on God. The obedience is on you. The results are on God. The results are on God. The results are on God. The obedience is on you. And you're obedient by showing up. You're obedient by saying, okay, I'm going to pray for this person. Father, heal him in the name of Jesus. I command this spirit, this, this spirit of infirmity, this sickness, whatever it is, cancer, to leave, to go now in Jesus' name. Done deal. And don't go by what you see like, oh, my God. You know, their foot is all twisted and, you know, hey, oh, I don't know about that. that. That's bigger. That's too big for me. No. Yeah, it is too big for you. But it's not too big for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to go to work. And we got to understand, look, creative miracles happen. Arms grow back. Legs grow back. People who had one leg, it grows back. It happens. It happens all the time. It, it, I mean, it happens in America. But you, in a lot of other countries, it happens, too, because they don't have the options that we have. They don't have children's hospitals and all this, and sometimes they don't have the money, et cetera. As I say, what changed my entire thinking, well, I heard someone once say that there are people who die. There are people who die because they didn't pray for them, because they don't have this revelation. They don't have this knowledge. They just feel like this is God's will. I've been praying. I have the faith. So there are people who might die because you didn't pray for them. 
That's responsibility. So if you see it, it's in your pathway, and you're in that territory, you have, you have the possibility to do something about it. And that changed my whole entire perspective. Like, wow, there's people who might die because I didn't exercise my power and authority to bring out healing in their lives. Because they don't have the revelation that you now have. They don't have the knowledge that you now have. And that's why once you get it, now that you have it, so then now we have to apply it. Okay? And so let's go to Acts 17, 5 through 6. Acts 17, 5 through 6. Acts 17, 5 through 6. And it reads, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So Paul and Silas traveled on a mission together. They were spreading the good news about Jesus Christ. To the Jews and the Gentiles, they went from city to city. They traveled in groups. There were teams who went into regions proclaiming the word of God and removing demonic spirits in the places they entered. So as you get this word, there's others that you can share it with, etc. And you know, and, and and two of you can go out together if you feel like, okay, all right, you know, I feel a little comfortable if someone goes with me. But you can do it. It's already in you. And so they were changing the world one city at a time. They were uprooting what Satan's kingdom had, uh, what Satan's kingdom established, and they established God's kingdom. They proclaimed God's word, healed the sick, and raised the dead. They did exactly what God commissioned the disciples to do. They were turning the world upside down. They had power over all demons, power to heal all sickness, and power to raise the dead. And we still have all this power today because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. When you boldly engage the enemy in warfare and fight for what's yours, you turn Satan's camp upside down. And some of the Jews didn't believe. But instead of walking away, they became angry and plotted against Paul and Silas. And notice that it said they became envious and then took some of the evil men from the marketplace to form a mob and attack the house of one of Paul and Silas' friend named Jason in an attempt to try to get to Paul and Silas. So understand, people aren't trying to destroy you. It's demonic spirits influencing the people. So don't fight the people. Fight the spirit behind the people. Demonic spirits will look for your physical weakness. In an attempt to attack you in different ways, they will try to slow down your progress and what you're trying to accomplish for God. And if they can't get to you directly, they try to get to someone who can get to you in some way. However, you must recognize that what is happening, you have to know how to counterattack when Satan tries to get at you. You have to know how to counterattack and accept the fact that everyone will not agree with you. Everyone won't like what you do or even like you. But it doesn't matter how nice of a person you are. Satan will always try to find a way to bring you down. But God did not send you here to win a popularity contest. He sent you here to do his will, whether it's popular or not, whether it's popular or not. This word that I'm preaching, I'm ministering to you now, is not popular because some people still want to be codependent Christians. And some leaders still want them to be codependent Christians and make them believe that they're the one with all the power and authority. I'm the leader and I'm the pastor. I got all the power and authority. No, devil is a lie. You have power and authority as well. And it is my job, my duty to equip you, to empower you, to go out and do it too. Because you had the same power, to remind you of your power and your authority. That's how revival is going to happen. It's not going to be one person, a few people. It's going to take masses of people going out, applying what they learn, and going out and walking their power and authority. Right, let's go to Acts 9. Acts 9, 36 to 42. Acts 9, 36 through 42. And we're still on, on point one. We talked about three key responsibilities you have in spiritual warfare. This first one, you're responsible 
for uprooting anything Satan's kingdom has established and establishing God's kingdom in its place. All right, Acts 9, 36 to 42, and it reads, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter rose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the windows and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hands and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. You see here, after Peter did what he did, did the power and authority in him, what happened? It became known. It became known. People found out about it. It, it spread because they're like, oh, God, this is God Peter, you know, who going around, laying hands in the sick and cover, praying for folks and they're recovering, raising folks from the dead. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Peter had faith that she would be uh, raised from the dead. You have faith for them. Then after that, they need to get the word, the teaching to walk in that as well so that they too can go out and do the same thing that you did, that they too can wake up to their power and their authority. So we find here a disciple named Tabitha. We know Jesus began with the original 12 disciples, but once we accept Christ, we're also disciples of Christ. Tabitha did many great deeds, as I said, but she became sick and died. So we see that Peter's faith came in contact with the Holy Spirit in him, and Tabitha was raised from the dead. Peter activated his power and authority. So, see, this someone who was dead, it didn't require more faith because she was dead or this kid they were sick. Same power, same authority. The Holy Spirit is not getting weaker. <laughs> not, it's not weak. He's not weak. Jesus' authority is still his authority. So, therefore, everything that the enemy tries is still small in God's sight. It should be small in your sight because the power and authority lives in you. So, we see that Peter came. He activated his power and authority. And while others are tied up in their feelings, God expects you to get, get tied up in your faith. People were weeping and had already considered her dead. Tabitha was dead. Dorcas, her name also, was dead. But look, it doesn't say that they called Peter to raise her from the dead. It never said that. But they called because he was close by and was one of their leaders. So they had even already washed her body and practically were beginning to prepare her for the burial process. Peter did not believe the report even when he physically saw she was dead. That's important for you to remember. When you're praying for someone who's sick, or, or someone who, you know, been tormented by the enemy and the enemies were seen to be attacking their life, when you're praying for them or you're in warfare and you're, you're, you're speaking to that spirit that's trying to keep them in bondage, understand that when you're doing that, you can't go by what you see. And I don't care how bad the situation looks, don't go by what you see. That's why Scripture says we walk by faith, 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 not by sight. She was physically dead and Peter could have been like, oh, she's dead. But he did not believe the report. He looked in the spirit and knew the power and authority he had, so he prayed and then turned to her and told her to arise. And he commanded her body to get in alignment with God. His faith was all that was needed. He raised Tabitha from the dead. Tabitha couldn't have no faith because she was dead. She said, oh, well, you got to have faith. I mean, the person had to have faith for them to be healed. The person had to have faith for them to raise from the dead. He had faith and activated his power and authority, and he healed Tabitha from the, from the dead. She was dead, so there's no way he could have said, Tabitha, do you believe that Jesus can raise you from the dead? She was dead. She couldn't hear him. The other person doesn't have to have the faith. 
And we see here because of verse 42, it says, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. They believed after the miracle of raising Tabitha from the dead. And so understand that his faith was all that was needed, even though everyone else thought it was over, thought the situation was dead. She was dead. So where something is dead that is supposed to be alive, God gave you the power and authority to bring it back to life. And the interesting thing about it is that they didn't need Peter to raise Tabitha from the dead because those in the room, the widows who he put out, those who had already accepted Christ, had the same power and authority as Peter, but they had not fully accepted it. And that's what I'm trying to get you all to understand tonight. I'm trying to get you to accept it. If you can accept it, that I have the power and authority, the authority of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, in me, I have access to them. You can accept that. They understand you don't need someone else to come in and do what God has already called and qualified you to do. I am not more qualified than you are to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons in Jesus' name. I am not more qualified than you are. You are just as qualified as I am because you have the same power and the same authority. So Peter chose to walk in his power and authority, and you have the same choice. He had nothing to lose because Tabitha was already dead. It wasn't just that he had radical faith. But he chose not to accept the report because he knew he had power and authority living in him. Raising tablets from the dead didn't require any more faith in healing someone from a sickness because, like I said, the same power and authority is what brings it about. And notice that after this miracle of being raised from the dead, like I said, the word miracle spread quickly and many believed in God. So the miracle signs and wonders that God will use you to do will point others back to Christ. This was an uncommon miracle, not because it was not possible, but because there wasn't faith enough. To believe God to do it. They didn't, didn't accept that they had the power and authority. They didn't have the faith that they could do it. But Peter had faith. And so what God is doing in your life is not common. So you need to stop trying to make it common. Accept that he is doing something new in your life. This word should change your life. It should come into contact with old tradition that does not work. We're bringing God's kingdom. God is bringing his kingdom. That's why we talk the revival. He's waking you up to who you really are. So you must begin to accept that who you are in Christ is totally different from who you are in the flesh. In Christ, you rule on earth. In Christ, you can command sickness, pain, distress, depression, and any attack of the enemy to go away, and it must obey you because they must obey Christ. And understand, demons don't obey you, but they obey the authority of Christ that comes with you. So start using your authority and command them to leave. But Satan has established or tried to get you to accept, you must overturn it by bringing God's kingdom. Many have called things from Satan God's will just because it's been a part of their life for so long. But God gave you the power to change it. Just because it's been a part of your life for so long, just because someone has been living with a sickness for so long, living with a situation for so long, living with stress, depression for so long, anxiety for so long, etc., it doesn't mean that it's God's will. It's your responsibility when you come in contact with it to say, no, your time is, your end has come. You demonic spirit, your aunt has come. No longer will you torment them. No longer will you live with them. It's time for you to leave in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. The second one, your responsibility for the lives of others. We're still staying in the book of Acts. Acts 12 and 5, and then verses 11 to 17. And we're going to have one more verse after this. The second point, again, your key responsibility with spiritual warfare, you're responsible for the lives of others. Yes, you're responsible for the lives of others. Acts 12 and 5, and then verses 11 to 17. Acts 12 and 5 reads, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Verse 11 to 17. And when Peter 
was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to, the, to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. So here we find the power of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is the prayers of more than one person praying collectively. The church continued to pray and engage in spiritual warfare for Peter while he was in prison. And the Lord sent an angel to rescue him. So this was a miracle. He was released from prison because he was wrongly put in the first place. However, the people did not feel like it was only Peter's issue. They felt, okay, one of our brothers in prison, we need to pray for him. So they took the issue on and confronted the enemy. They engaged enemy warfare. And some people think that it's just about them. But God gave you the responsibility for others as well. Your faith may be the only faith that someone has to work with, but the results of your faith will change them. Your faith may be the only faith someone has to work with, but the results of your faith will change them. Even in this passage, but in the last passage when he raised Tabitha from the dead, was the faith that was there because everyone else didn't have it. They thought it was over. But the results of his faith, and, and then when he acted in his power and authority, it raised Tabitha from the dead. It changed her. Your faith can change someone. So when one is weak, the other is strong. There are some people who will be in bondage from the enemy, but God will use you to set them free. And the only issue here is that the church was praying so much until they almost missed the answered prayer, which was right at the door. Rhoda went to the door. She was so excited that she saw Peter at the door. She didn't open the gate. She was excited. She was happy, and she went to tell everyone else, and they thought she lost her mind and thought she was seeing an angel. Peter kept knocking, and finally opened up, and they were amazed. This increased their faith because they were praying to God, but apparently they didn't think he would move that fast. They didn't think he would move that fast, and that's why I'm saying, too, that Sometimes in church, we, we've been talking about the power, flirting with the power, but this is a generation that shall demonstrate the power. They've been praying, but they didn't even believe that it was going to happen. That was like going through the motion. We praying. We believe, Lord, heal, you know, bring heal up, heal out of prison. Lord, we know you work in miracles, and Lord, you, we know you can deliver him out of prison. They probably thought that, you know, he would just be released, et cetera. They didn't think that God was an angel to, to literally break him out of prison. And so that's what I'm saying. We have to actually apply it, demonstrate it. And so they were shocked. But understand, God specializes in overnight miracles, and he's going to use you as a vessel to bring about miracles. The answer to your prayers may be knocking at your door, but you may be praying and so focused on what you're praying about until you may not see that God has already answered it. It just may not be the exact way you expected. The church didn't expect Peter to physically be rescued by an angel, so God exceeded their expectations. So don't box God in when you pray. And as we said, it is different between prayer and spiritual warfare. Prayer is, you know, your communication with God. It's part of your currency and how you make spiritual transactions from earth to heaven, heaven to earth, etc. But warfare is when you're actually engaging the enemy. You're engaging the enemy. You're commanding them to lead. Uh, you're commanding Satan to lose his hand, to lose his hold. You're, coming, you're breaking down strongholds in the name of Jesus. You're literally fighting the enemy with your words and the word of God. You're engaging the enemy. That's spiritual warfare. But I say sometimes you interchange. You might go back to 
you know, praying out to God. So sometimes they, they, they both go hand in hand, but spiritual warfare and prayer are not the same thing. When you're in spiritual warfare, you're literally going at the enemy. That's why I said when you're praying for the sick, praying for delivering someone's life, you're attacking that spirit, that demonic spirit. You're attacking it. You're speaking to it. Because we mentioned before that when Jesus healed that the man had legion, you know, over 6,000 demons living in him, when Jesus cast that demon out, the demons, they recognized his authority. They recognized who he was. That's why they got that attention. They're like, oh, my God, Jesus, what you going to do? Don't torment us. But they did not leave until Jesus commanded them to leave. When Jesus told them to go, that's when they left. So you have to understand that. You have to command what's been tormenting you, what's tormenting someone else to leave. You have to command those spirits to leave in Jesus' name. Key point there. But the same when you're praying, don't boss God in prayer. Our last point, you must have faith. Let's go to Luke 17, 5 through 6. Luke 17, 5 through 6. And it reads, And the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And it would obey you. This is evidence that our faith can and should be increased. The apostles, they prayed to the Lord, increase our faith. Faith is a catalyst for things to begin to ignite because it's impossible to please God without faith. We know that. So notice that they asked Jesus to increase their faith, and instead of talking about increasing it, Jesus showed them how much they could do with the faith they already had. So sometimes you look for more, but God has already given you what you need to make more. Sometimes you look for more, but God has already given you what you need to make more. God placed the seed of faith in you, and it can grow. Jesus gave an example in this passage of what faith can do. Your faith in God gives you a boldness to do what you thought you couldn't do before. And a mustard seed, as I said earlier, is the smallest seed. So Jesus told the disciples that it is only required, it only required a little faith in God to do something very big. He said, you have this little faith, you can speak to this mulberry tree, to be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the seed, and it will have to obey you. And so something, a small little bit of faith, because see, we've been taught to believe, oh, you've got to have great faith, your faith got to be bigger. But when you do these things, when miracle signs and wonders are, are evident in your life and it's happening, that will increase your faith. It will increase your faith. And we've seen it from examples tonight. Okay? So, with, again, with just a little faith in God, you can uproot what Satan has planted. Just imagine how much more you will accomplish with a lot of faith. Because, again, faith is simply you trusting God. So why would you not trust God? Faith is saying I'm, I'm putting my, not my trust in man. I'm putting my trust in God. He has all power. I'm putting my trust in God through Christ Jesus, okay? And so with that being said, because I'm putting my trust in him, that takes pressure off of me. And my faith is growing because he's shown himself faithful. He's opened doors. He's done things in your life. So your faith has increased from where it was when you first started this Christian walk. So this passage shows how powerful faith is. Again, a little bit of faith in God can do something very big. So it's needed in spiritual warfare because it latches onto God and produces the results. It also shows that when you engage in spiritual warfare, whatever demon you speak to must obey the authority of Christ in you. You see here in verse 6, and it would obey you. God gave you the power and authority to uproot the very thing that has tried to uproot you. Okay, so again, the three key responsibilities you have in spiritual warfare, you're responsible for uprooting anything Satan's kingdom has established and establishing God's kingdom in its place. Number two, you're responsible for the lives of others. And number three, you must have faith. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So make sure that you don't just say, I got it tonight because it's too much to just get in one sitting. You got to hear it and hear it and hear it until it becomes a part of you. I will close out in prayer. Father God, we come now to the end of yet another Bible study. Oh God, thank you, oh God, for the word that went forth 
on tonight, oh God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for clarity. We thank you for revelation that went forth on tonight. We know that you spoke to each and every one individually. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for just uh, stirring up the gifts on the inside of us in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for understanding of your word, oh God. In the mighty name of Jesus, O oh God, we thank you for letting us know and understand the power and authority that we do have from you, O oh God. We thank you for helping us not to just see it, but helping us to, to walk in it and activate it and accept it, O oh God. Accept it. Help us to accept it, that it will go in our hearts, O oh God, that we shall believe, we shall accept it, and it shall become a part of who we are. That we shall carry out our responsibility, O oh God, our assignments in this earth that you've given unto us, O oh God. And that we will begin, O oh God, with the first bit of power and authority you give us, the first set of instructions you give us, O oh God, to heal sick, cast out demons, O oh God, raise the dead, O oh God, your power over all work, work of the enemy, O oh God, you've given it unto us, O oh God, so we thank you, O oh God, we thank you, O oh God, for opening our eyes to see it, O oh God, and giving us the strength, O oh God, the boldness, O oh God, to walk in, O oh God, we thank you for increasing our faith, O oh God, in the mighty name of Jesus, O oh God, we come up against any seed of the enemy right now, O oh God, that, that enemy has tried to sow, or that will sow, we speak crop failure to it now, in the name of Jesus, anything the enemy will try to do to try to snatch this word, that will try to steal this word, that will try to uh, cause our moves to change, I cancel it now in the name of Jesus. And I declare this word shall take root. It shall take root and spring forth in our lives and produce fruit. And it shall produce a great harvest. We thank you, O God, for the souls that should be saved, O God, because we walk in our power and authority. We thank you for the lives that should be changed, those who shall be delivered, those who shall be healed, because we walk in our power and authority, O God. We thank you for telling us about our responsibility, O God, and I declare that we accept the challenge, O God. We accept the responsibility that comes with, O God, the power and authority that you've given unto us. So we thank you. We bless your name. We glorify your name now. These are all blessed who in your son, Jesus, and we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. So that's all I have tonight. Again, remember that you are the breath of God, and God never wastes a breath. This is Apostle Green signing out. God bless you. Let me smile upon you. Good night. Warriors, thank you for tuning in to the Spiritual Warfare Network podcast and applying today's teaching. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow Apostle Green on social media.